0: Welcome to Redefining Success, the Kingdom Builder Spotlight. I'm your host, Eric L. Donovan, the Mindset Disruption Strategist and President and CEO of Paradigm. My teams and I redefine success for purpose-driven families and businesses by challenging social norms and balancing family and finance to build kingdom impact and Welcome, everyone. This is Eric L. Dunovet the Mindset Disruption Strategist. We are here for another episode of Redefining Success. And joining me today is Jason Hopkins of The Connection Project. Let me tell you a little bit about him, and I'm going to let him, as you know, introduce himself as we grab a burger or a hot dog or something off the grill. Um, in an effort to affect change, Jason openly shares his personal story of struggle with mental health. He battled his own king of hell to climb from the darkest semblance of human self-struggle. As a result, Jason fully acknowledges the amount of work it takes, how necessary it is to share each other's journeys, and why we, as a society, need to move the needle towards unashamed conversation. Jason is a catalyst for a powerful cultural shift because everyone, directly or indirectly, is affected by mental health. So true. The stigmas of mental health cannot be unraveled unless we begin to celebrate those who have pulled themselves back up and then some. It's time to acknowledge recovery success. And so, Jason, with that, I cannot be more excited to have you on the show today. The pleasure is mine. I'm glad
1: to be here. Thank you. Yeah.
0: So, Jason, I may have pulled a little bit of your opportunity here, but as I always begin, it's a beautiful Saturday afternoon. I've got the barbecue grill heated up. Yeah, yep. um, and invited all my friends over. My friends is my audience. So, would you please introduce yourself to my friends?
1: Yeah, so I'm happy to. Uh, again, thank you for having me. So I'm Jason Hopkins. I am the president and founder of an organization, the Connection Project, um, and also the president and CEO of another organization called uh, Nami Arapaho Douglas Counties. NAMI is short for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, which is a national organization. And I happen to lead one of the largest affiliates in the state of Colorado, comprising of roughly a million people. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So
0: tell me a little bit. I mean, you you here's my probably my best question. What are you most passionate about?
1: So I, that, that's a great question. What I'm most passionate about is evolving the narrative around mental health. Okay. And when I when I say evolving the narrative around mental health, I think that starts with recognizing that if you have a brain, you have mental health, therefore we all have mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, our current narrative always gets mired in the mental illness, mental health, and there's not really ever a big differentiator between what the difference between is among them. And the reality is you have a brain, you have mental health. and I, And I'm hopeful that through the work that I'm doing, we're advancing the conversation to recognize the brain and the body are one one entity and connected and therefore we all have mental health.
0: I I wanna take it into some different questions, but if you said that, as you said that, the thing that really came up to me is, man, what a time to be having this conversation. Right. you got to imagine between COVID and everything that everyone has been through that you're probably seeing a lot more need for your work than maybe, and more recognition and awareness, like it's easier to get awareness than maybe it was before. Could you tell us maybe a little bit about that and what you're seeing right now?
1: Yes and yes. So 100% that. Um, I think that we are, um, through what we've all collectively been through, we are seeing a demand for treatment and services and people reaching out that far exceeds the supply of resources that are available, Mm -hmm. which I think perfectly tees up the timing to have this conversation. You know, um, Having done this work for more than a decade now, the thing that I can say unequivocally until what we've been through in the last two and a half years is Mental health was a conversation that unless it hit your home, the blinds came down for most people. And I don't care if you use the word mental health, mental illness, well-being, wellness, you could literally see people just sort of glaze over the topic. And I think the reality is um, with what we've all been through and feeling like there were collectively kind of a pot that's about to boil over, people are struggling. You know, Mm -hmm. my tagline in the Connection Project is everyone struggles, and I really recognize that from that foundation of struggle, there is a connection point for all of us to strengthen and deepen connection with ourselves and others. And, you know, frankly, the recognition that with, with what we've all been through, regardless of what your experience was, it affected everyone. Yeah. And um, I think that that really makes this an opportune time for us to start talking about our own humanness in the mm-hmm. conversation and that we may be struggling.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um. Jason, the, the, what I would love for you to do, as much as you can, sure. um, I can't imagine that this becomes your passion without your own story. I cannot imagine that this becomes your passion without your own experience and your own, what I like to call maybe the pit Right. you ended up in. So could you maybe kind of tell us what that journey looked like that leads the, to this being your passion
1: I absolutely can. So I'll tell you about my king of hell, as you referenced in my, yeah. my bio. that's actually another generation of a bio that I have. And I always love the dramatics of that. <laughs> um, but but really, it was that. So, you know, I come from an entrepreneurial background, okay. entrepreneurial parents, worked in a family business, had a very successful um, real estate support career, um, flipped houses, mm. owned properties, did a bunch of different things. And when the economy crashed in 2008, it, you know, I like others was, was not left unscathed. And, and really there were a series of catastrophic events that kind of happened over the course of the, the resulting few years after the financial crash that really brought me to my knees. And, and frankly, Um, you know, I can look back now and say that it's a breakthrough, but quite frankly, it was a breakdown. Um, So I will, I will lovingly say that, you know, I lost my mind, my money um, and my way. And from that place, um, I, I think a lot of men, especially who, you know, had the life that I had prior to, you know, these, these setbacks, many of them would not have made it out of those situations. And I recognize that there was something unique or special in the fact that Um, you know, I was meant to get through this. And and it was with Mm. that mustard seed of faith that I kept walking forward. And frankly, from that perspective, recognizing that if I made it out of this alive, that I would use my voice to make a difference so that others didn't have to struggle.
0: Mm. Because
1: the truth was the place that I came from, which I can say white male, privileged, educated, you know, all the boxes that are checked that should give you some sort of leg up in life. I had all of those. And I can say in those darkest times and, you know, and, and most vulnerable places, I didn't know where to turn or what to do. Mm. And, and frankly, I just don't think, you know, people going through situations like that should have such a hard time to get connected.
0: Yeah. What, um, what were some of the places like, I mean, I'm, the first thing that comes to mind is like, it's so tough to get out of it, it maybe easier today. But the first right. thing that's running through my mind in that situation is like, oh my goodness, what's everybody going to think of me if I say I've got a mental health issue or, right. you know, if you're even going to bring it up. I mean, what were what were some of the things that you had to overcome? And I think what might even be a better, better understanding or better ex- kind of expression from you would be, how did you begin to find your way out? Because- Again, like as you said, white male privilege in this of everything should be okay. What I've got to imagine is the first thing going on is, well, man, everything should be okay. So why am I having this problem? So how do you begin to find your way out of that?
1: Right. That's a great question. So as I was really, you know, choosing to begin again, and and literally it was a choice. I mean, I remember there was a solid year that I considered killing myself every day. Mm. And I, and I will be frank with you all. Like the only thing that saved my life was walks and baths and that mustard seed of faith, which sounds so silly. Um, but, but you know, the, the, the thing that kept compelling me to move forward, I just felt like, I remember I had an attorney in the midst of all of this. I mean, I had a lot of financial issues, legal issues, like, It was a nightmare, and I remember I had an attorney. I was in a deposition, and we were in the hall on some break, and he just said, I just need you to remember they can't eat you, so my breakdown was fairly public, which was really, really hard for me to overcome what I um, really appreciated having a very private, Mm. buttoned-up, perfect-looking life, so for me, this pushed against everything that I had safely guarded to keep me... In a public image that looked like everything was perfect, and I think the reality is, is when things like that happen to you and they shake the core of who you think you are, you know, I think we can do a couple of things. One, I think we can hide out, which I certainly did for quite some time, um, and, and live in fear of of the what if. But you know, for me, what ultimately happened was recognizing that if I were going to move forward, was going to move forward and, and and move into this work of really helping others. I had to show up with a willingness to be seen. Mm. And and I'll admit to you, that took a long time and a lot of iterations for me to be at the place that I'm at today to talk about this because I don't want to discount what I went through. I mean, literally, you know, I'll look at it now as like, these are different t-shirts that I got to wear. But I mean, you talk about t-shirts that you could have in a drawer. I have most of them that are the most painful things that people never want to go through. And from that place, I think it makes me uh, more resilient. I think it's made me more, um, you know, it has made me tougher around, you know, we can weather the storm. And, and I think the thing that it ultimately taught me is recognizing that this showed up as an invitation for me to be able to do the work I'm here to do. Mm. And, and, and I don't have regrets about it now. I cannot say the first five years of that journey. I mean, it was painful. It was really painful.
0: Yeah. Um, you said a couple of times kind of your mustard seed of faith. I I find most people don't use most people inherit a mustard seed. They don't find it on their own. Was there anybody that in your background or in your life that really kind of at least gave you that point of faith to just kind of at least hold on for the moment? Anyone from your past?
1: You know, I mean, I come from a family of prayers. I mean, I had a grandmother, a great grandmother, um, a mother, you know, people who really rooted for me to find my way you know I I think we come into this world with a purpose and I think really the the mission of our life's work is to figure out how you're going to turn that purpose into your passion Mm. and frankly Eric what I went through had I not been through it I wouldn't be here so I want I want to underscore that the the very worst most painful parts of my history literally became foundational for me to be able to do the work to support other people that I have done and do today
0: yeah yeah Um,
1: There are no mistakes. And I think um, it's a part of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Jason, you were taught you know, the theme of the show is redefining success when you let's talk about right. The the moments before maybe 07, 08, because that's really, it sounds like where things happen. What did you think success looked like?
1: And what did you have
0: to unlearn to really be able to be able to begin to walk out to new possibilities?
1: Yeah that's a great question and and I've reflected a lot on on what success looked like in my past and how different it is today and, and the reality is is you know I grew up thinking you work hard you made a lot of money you had all the things you lived the proverbial american dream and you had made it And I can tell you very early in life, well before the crash, I had experienced a lot of success. There are many things I have been good at in life and and frankly, not anything I really wanted to do that I wasn't good at. Mm. Um, I now recognize that just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it. But frankly, I had all the things. I had the houses, I had the cars, I had the boats, I had art. I took amazing trips. I had interesting friends. Like I did all of that. And I thought that was the right thing to do in reflection, you know, I can tell you that there was not a lot of depth in those experiences. I think I created friendships and relationships that were built in the image of exactly what I thought they should look like. Mm. And, And probably when it all came unraveled, the most disappointing thing about all of it was recognizing the people you thought would be there and show up for you were not. They didn't make a call. They didn't show up. They didn't bring a casserole. They didn't give you a gift basket. You know, how can we help? It was none of that. It was literally crickets and Mm -hmm. and it forced me to have to rely on myself and get real with myself Mm -hmm. about what I wanted out of life. I frankly don't know that I would have gotten there A, if that had not happened and B, if I had tried to recreate the same life again. Mm.
0: Oh, that's powerful. Yeah, that's powerful.
1: So, were there any
0: people that really impacted you on the journey of recovery and kind of guiding you where you are today? And then when we get done with that, I want to talk a little bit more about how you're working with people, especially sure. in such a time right now. But were there any people that really made a difference in your life as you were really starting to kind of find your way and find your hope as you're holding on to this mustard seed?
1: Certainly, I, I think there were a lot of people. I mean, in the very beginning, I mean, I had a, you know a phenomenal therapist who was very instrumental in doing the work um, that I've done, you know, I've done a lot of work in trauma therapy. Um, I've really been open in the work that um, I've done professionally and using that as an opportunity for me to continue to grow personally. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the very beginning, the first years I volunteered, like it was a job. So for the organization, NAMI, Arapo Douglas counties, I volunteered for that organization and then continued to escalate in roles and now have been the president and CEO for about the past seven years. Um, But I volunteered that organization. My very first foray into that organization was showing up for a support group. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I can say has been so inspiring um, is really to see the other people who have in the depths of their own personal hells decided to get up and show up and keep going forward like Mm. that to me is what inspires you I don't think it has to be some life-changing event if you're open to it and you look around there are everyday people who can a show you that it could always be worse and b be examples for how maybe you do something that puts you in a better place yeah yeah I mean
0: the one thing that I'm hearing you say that I've seen the example of over and over and over again is the fact that Life makes more sense when we give.
1: A hundred percent. Life
0: makes more sense when we're pouring ourselves out instead of putting ourselves in a place to always receive.
1: I I, I couldn't agree more. And and frankly, that's been the evolution of this journey for me. And recognizing that that I'm a conduit for this message. I you know the work I'm doing today literally came to me a dream in a dream in some of my darkest times. Mm. And I feel like over the last decade, I have been planting seeds. That brings me to this unique place. But I don't think the mission or the purpose has changed from that very first kind of prophetic dream and, and, and recognizing that you know our timing is not necessarily the universe's timing for how things play out in our lives. And if you're willing to show up and you're willing to do your part and you're willing to help others along the way, I just don't believe the opportunities that are meant for you pass you by.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic.
1: What about Where does this go from
0: you're volunteering at NAMI to this could be a business? I mean, this is a place where not only, I I don't even want to say this could be a business. This needs to be a business. Like, I've got to go do this.
1: What does that look like? That really came to me, I would say it was about five years in. So let's say about 2015, 2016, okay. um, it really started to become solidified for me. So NAMI as an organization is primarily designed to offer education, support, and outreach programs for family members and loved ones that are chronically impers- or, or persistently mentally ill. So the people who will probably always need some form of treatment. What kept coming up for me is like, where are the people who, like myself, who have had a setback in life that had some, you know, a journey of recovery that had some transition issues that really needed to be able to have some support that was not maybe a life's work for them. Mm -hmm. And so from that, you know, I have a really great board that I've worked with for a long time now that was willing to go where I wanted to go. And we started my organization Connection Project. And really in its essence, you know, Connection Project was formed to strengthen and deepen connection to ourselves and others. Pretty simple approach. Yeah. So as we started looking at it in the beginning, I always imagined it would be an app that we would get connected, people mm. connected to mental health support resources in times of struggle and or crisis. Well, as you can imagine, Eric, when you try to market to everyone, it's a little hard to rein in. How are you gonna budget for that? Right. So what that really evolved into is us building social impact campaigns that had, you know, podcast series that had, you know, really great conversations with community leaders, thought thought leaders, waymakers, people who really saw their community in a new way. So that could be community like we we did a series with middle aged men. We've done a series with emergency responders. We've done I've done a lot of work with youth and continue to do work with mm-hmm. youth. Um, we've worked with moms. We've worked with veterans. But really, if I peel back a layer, the the basis of helping people find connection and support is really kind of a universal thing. What we did is making this social impact approach among communities of like minded individuals. It really gave us the the connective language and the imagery needed to say, hey, that's my tribe. So, um, you know, from that perspective, we've had a lot of success building regional and national campaigns. I do a ton of work in the responder community. I do a lot of work with entrepreneurs. As I mentioned, I do a lot of work with youth. Um, But really, if I had to kind of give a little bit of the magic sauce, the work is the same for all of us. We are all looking for that one thing connection.
0: Yeah. Um, being an entrepreneur, I'm about to expose myself, but I gotta okay. imagine that of the groups that you serve, when it comes to saying, you know what, I need help, I, I'm someone who, that we're the hardest headed of the bunch.
1: Absolutely, responders is a pretty tough, tough group. Also, okay. <laughs> although I will say, with what we've been through in the last two and year, two and a half years, by and large, that is a group who is struggling. At astronomical rates, and they are yeah. actually re- reaching out, peeking behind the curtain, and saying, "Hey, I need some help." Entrepreneurs are a unique group, so I, I did a mastermind series earlier this year with a group called the High Wired. Um, so it's an organization that I that I created to specifically work with entrepreneurs and leaders. Um, and our tagline in that work is a life and business in balance. And I really believe you know, I do a lot of work with C-suite people, entrepreneurs, et cetera. And the thing that I will see that plagues them the most is this, this pervasive and nagging feeling of not ever being good enough. You know, so there's this, I should be doing more. I need to go further faster. I need to be ahead of my competitors. And, and there is an element of all of that, that I think is is the essence of being an entrepreneur. But frankly, I think where a lot of us fall short, and I, and, and I am no no uh, stranger to this f- scenario, is, um, am I doing enough? Yeah. You know, could I do more? Am I good enough? And I think by really being able to sit down with individuals like yourself who do this work and just have an honest conversation about, you know, a life and business and balance really can be eye-opening for a lot of people because I think what a lot of entrepreneurs miss is they're so good at what they do that they pour their heart and soul into it and then other areas of their lives suffer.
0: Yep.
1: Well, I'm the guy that will tell you wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> so if you recognize that you are in the center of your life in your business in the center of, li- of your life in your home and your family life, how you show up makes a difference. And I've even learned in my own life, like I used to work seven days a week. I can't even tell you the number of hours and really deciding consciously not to work on the weekends or work very little on the weekends, I am so much more fulfilled in my work throughout the week. And, it's, and I love what I do. Like I get to show up every day and I, I get to do this gift, um, but it has made a, a real difference So I think the work that I'm here to do, especially with entrepreneurs, is really invitational to say, let's have a conversation about like what's going on and are there things that you're struggling with? And are there some simple tweaks that we can make or maybe even some bigger tweaks that we could make that help you get closer to a life that feels fulfilling?
0: Yeah, yeah. My my experience is this. I'm going to kind of share this with you and then kind of get your response because I'm almost positive I know what your answer is going to be. (laughs) But my comment to most business owners is you don't have a business problem. They're always trying like, well, this is not going well in my business. This is not going to well. shut up about your business. You don't have a business problem. What yeah. you have is a connection problem. Right. You're either not connected to your faith, you're not connected to yourself, or you're not connected to the people you love the most. One of those three. And if you can figure out where, and it could be all three, but if you can figure out where your connection problem lies, your
1: business solutions will come to you. I, I agree with that. And I think a lot of times... Um, People often get unplugged because they have lost their passion for why they were doing what they did in the first Mm, place. You know, I don't know about for you, like you'll go down a path and something new will come up and you'll pursue it. And while it may be a moneymaker and maybe the thing that gets you a lot of recognition, it doesn't necessarily mean it's pursuing your passion anymore. So for me, what I've recognized by really staying in the flow of being on a continuum as, as an entrepreneur is recognizing that sometimes when things come in, that's just a trap. You know, Mm. it's not something that you have to pursue, and and I wholeheartedly believe no is a complete sentence, and there are things that we say yes to that we should say no to, and when you get a little more in touch with yourself, it's easier to say, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, there, there are certain types of things that I am quite good at. Like I used to have a really great coaching business with clients that had treatment resistant depression. I had a lot of success with that group and community. These are people who have tried every med and kind of treatment and still are chronically or persistently depressed. And, you know, I had a lot of success working with them, but frankly, I didn't like the work. And part of what I didn't like about the work is it was so hard. And the stories were so ingrained in old trauma and old wounds that unless you're really willing to scratch the surface and kind of uncover and unearth some of that, that painful stuff, chances are you're going to stay stuck in that place. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think all of us are sitting mired in that kind of stuckness. Sometimes we just need somebody to show up who says, hmm, have you looked at the light over here? Yeah, like that yeah. might be a better direction for you.
0: What is, we may have kind of talked about most of it. I just want to make sure I don't miss this part of the question. What do you think the hardest barrier of entrepreneurs coming to the Connection Project or coaching, or maybe it's not through that, but whatever source of that, what do you think the biggest barrier is to them to say yes to working with you?
1: Um, if I have a conversation with somebody, people don't tell me no. And I don't mean that from a place of arrogance at all. Um, I, I, I tend to have pretty good conversations with people as a starting point. I think one of the biggest barriers that, that, that entrepreneurs face in making any decision is as we achieve more success, what happens for many of us is we surround ourselves with people who never tell us no or only tell us what we want to hear. I think that's really dangerous. And I think it's a, it, it, it's dangerous for a couple of reasons, but primarily I think it starts putting blinders on and your veal, your field of vision gets more limited around, you know, you only have surrounded yourself with people who tell you what you want to hear, which just validates your own opinion. Frankly, I think it limits your opportunity to grow and to really evolve and expand. And, and to in, enrich the depth that you may have an entrepreneur as an entrepreneur. So, you know, probably the biggest obstacle that somebody would have in working with me is are you willing to do the work? Mm. Because I, I will cut somebody loose very quickly if you're actually not willing to do the work. So, the ideal candidate for me is somebody that has done some work, and that may be therapy, that may be coaching, whatever. But I'm a pretty specific, you come to me and we're going to identify what you want to work on. And I'm going to tell you, I think we're going to talk four sessions, 10 sessions, and that's what it's going to be. And if something else comes up along the way, we can revisit that and expand if needed. But I'm not the guy that you're going to come to and are going to be talking to for the next 10 years of your life. Not saying that, that I haven't had clients that I've talked to for a long time over the years. Um, but the reality is, is I find most people, if they're willing to do the work, will show up. And with some tweaks and some guidance and accountability, they can get the life they want. Mm.
0: Well, on that front, my next question was going to be, I mean, tell some stories of maybe even some of the biggest breakthrough for entrepreneurs. And what I would, would probably be more fascinated by is the breakthrough that maybe they weren't expecting. So they came in for one thing, but if you had one or two stories of just a breakthrough that they weren't expecting.
1: I have a lot of stories, but I think the thing that is most surprising, and this is, this is across the spectrum of how many entrepreneurs are really good and have built really successful businesses that are terrified at looking at their financial numbers. <laughs> yeah. Like, some, like Joe does that for me. Like we've got that buttoned up. It's like, okay, well, can you, can you tell me anything about your ROI and, you know, like, let's talk about your numbers and are you meeting the objectives? You, crickets. You know, and, and and really, I have found that it is not because they don't actually understand what they're looking at. I think that there is inherent fear for a lot of people related to money and money math that keeps them really small in that area. So, I mean, these are really high performing, big entrepreneurs that I'm looking at, like, you don't even know what your balance sheet says. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, but I have money in the bank. And I'm like, I'm, I don't care about that. Like, what's the health of your business? And and I think that has always surprised me. but. The other thing has been is how so many people will take really big risks to create something. And then when it comes to signing a lease on a new office or making a major purchase that's going to help them grow their business, they get paralyzed in fear because it's expensive or it's a commitment and they don't know that they can make it. And I kind of always come from the places like, well, how committed are you into this business succeeding and going forward? Well, I have no plans for it to go anywhere else. So like, why is signing a five-year lease a big deal for you? Right. Okay. So it's interesting, the psychology of humans that even in the bigness of what we may create, that there are those things that we bump up against that really, if you're willing to look at them and kind of scratch the surface a little bit, you can usually tie it back to something that happened way past in our life and then look at it from the perspective of, well, things are not like that at all anymore, and then kind of see the lunacy of making this decision from this very small place. And you can make a decision and move on with your life. Yeah. Yeah. But what that does by taking action in those points, it makes it easier for you to be more discerning in the next points and to recognize that, am I holding myself back or do I need to get more information or is this just a decision that I have everything I need to know to make?
0: Mm-hmm. That's good. Jason, We this has been such a great interview. Is there anything mm-hmm. we did not get to talk about that you wanted to make sure you had a chance to share while we were together?
1: Um. From my perspective, I don't think so, but I want to ensure that I've answered all of oh, your
0: questions. No, no, no. You've answered them in a fantastic way. If someone's been listening today and they know that this is something they need to talk about, they want to talk more about your coaching program or just get to know more about the Connection Project or even maybe even stuff you're doing with NAMI. I mean, again, I say this and I say this to my audience. Um, there's so much going on from a mental health standpoint right now. Mental health has even affected my own home. Right. Um, with my one of my children. I mean, it's affecting everyone. And the best thing to do is to address it without the stereotypes and just like it is what it is, because that's the only way to get through it is to face, you know, what, what's going on, you know. Um, but with that in mind, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you or reach or follow what you're doing or reach out to you or
1: whatever? Sure. So that's to, to that point. I want to go back to everyone's struggles.
0: Absolutely. So from that
1: place of, of those two words, recognizing the words, everyone struggles, I think you set up an invitational opportunity for people to talk about what they're going through. And mm-hmm. I encourage you to use those two words or your listeners to use those two words yeah. in yeah. conversation. And you will see how compelled people become to tell you about what they're struggling with. That to me is the place of connection. Oh, so wow. I really love that. If somebody wants to connect with me directly, I, I'm super responsive. My email is simple. It's Jason at realpeoplereallife.org. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, my website is realpeoplereallife.org for Connection Project. And if you're interested in the work we're doing at NAMI, our website is namiadcoadco.org. Um, super easy to get in touch with me in any of those platforms. Of course, I'm on LinkedIn under my name as well. Um, but yeah, I'm I, I'm here to serve. If I can be of, of service to you or one of your listeners, hit me up. That's
0: fantastic. Jason, my last question is always the same. Okay. Um, in three generations, what do you hope your nieces or nephews remember or people that love you remember about you?
1: I hope that doing this work leaves a legacy and people will continue to say he, he showed up to make a difference.
0: Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that. I to Thank serve. you so much for being with us today. You've been a fantastic interview. I've loved, I've loved this. It's so timely for
1: everything. Likewise. You know. Thank you, Eric. I, I appreciate the opportunity.
0: All right, everyone, we will be with you again next episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great day. God bless you. Eric L. Dunavut here. Thank you so much for joining us for Redefining Success, the Kingdom Builder Spotlight. If you're a business owner or a family who is actively redefining success, or have thoughts on kingdom impact or generational prosperity, and you would like to be a guest on the show, then I invite you to apply. Visit www.ericldunovant.com slash podcast slash apply. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, I would love for you to share that either through text or social media. Take a screenshot of the show and share that and share what you learned. If you know anyone that should be a guest on our show, we would also love for you to connect us to them. The best way to do that is to use hashtag redefining success. I love to read your thoughts and shares on social media, and we also are honored just to get any recommendations of people that you think we should be interviewing on the show. We are constantly adding new content, adding new podcasts. So first and foremost, I'm going to recommend that you subscribe so that you don't miss a thing. Also, you all of your likes, your reviews, your shares, all of that makes a big difference to the show. So if you'll include those when you can, we definitely appreciate it. If you'd like to get in touch with me, visit www.ericl360.com. and all of my connections to social and other ways to get in touch with me are there. This is Eric L. Dunavant, the Mindset Disruption Strategist, signing off. Until next time.